Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 34. This week, we talked to Trish Curry about moving to Azure, building mobile apps with Xamarin, and data science. Forking Node, top 10 mistakes Node.js developers make, shaving milliseconds, and how to make sure your app is on the nice list this Christmas. Hey, Carl, did you see that amazing new Doug presentation the other night? I actually, I, I missed it. Uh, I, I was there, but I didn't see it at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. You were up in the front and uh, you were talking during the whole thing. It was really annoying. <laughs> oh, wait, you were the presenter. That's why. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, I had a chance to go on and on about Sidewaffle once again. So, you know, just get, get our month or <laughs> weekly Sidewaffle you know, jab in right off the okay. bat here. This week in Sidewaffle. Okay, so... We have, speaking of uh, new Doug, which is the uh, northeastwisconsin.net. Uh, no, it's not .net, It's developer user group now. Uh, we have Trish Curry. How's it going, Trish? Good. Hi, guys. <laughs> so uh, her title is regular old software developer. And, <laughs> and she's the first person to uh, ever listen to our show. So you are the one and only person who listens. Ah, so special. <laughs> yeah. So I guess you don't have to listen to this week. So <laughs> now our listeners <laughs> drop down to zero. <laughs> I won't. No, you, uh, you were, you were there. Uh, I know that you're pretty much always at, uh, at those meetings, which is pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, we said, come on the show. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah. I won an MS dev show hat last time. Yeah. I forgot to wear it today. Oh, okay. I have my, uh, MS dev show mug, although you can't really see that very well in the audio, uh, portion. So okay. I can see that, uh, Carl and I have matching TARDIS mugs. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. So anyway, let's get into listener feedback. So we actually got an email this past week that was, uh, I'll just summarize it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, it was uh, John Crowell. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he was asking, we mentioned on a different show. I don't remember the show number, but uh, I had mentioned that I associate all my Visual Studio projects, the project files and the solution files. And I think even like the, the CS, uh, typically the CS files and, and those types of things, I actually uh, associate those with Sublime Text and not Visual Studio. That way, if I ever double click on one of those files, it opens immediately because I'm sure you both have run into this where you you find like even like a JSON file or something like that. And by default, Visual Studio sort of takes over all those those file extensions and you double click on it, expecting that file to open only to see Visual Studio is loading. And you're like, no, because it's yeah. going to take like 45 <laughs> seconds for what you it, meant to be a two terrible. second edit. Yeah, it's terrible. The funny thing is, in, in reality, I mean, it's like five seconds, but Sublime text opens in a fraction of a second. So it's, it, it just changes the way you do things. So he was asking if there was an automated way to change all those extensions. And I'm sure you could, you know, edit the registry or use PowerShell or something like that. But honestly, I just do it. I just do a manual edit. And that's um, through I, the, the windows file extension yeah, editor. Yeah, exactly. So I just changed some of the, some of the key ones. Actually, I think that the solution files I keep with visual studio project files, CS files, uh, JSON, those types of things. I always, uh, associate with sublime text. Um, cause usually if I'm in Explorer and I'm double clicking on those, that means that I don't have, you know, when I want to edit those files in visual studio, I have the solution open and I can quickly access those. So, and then he also mentioned in there, he said, I really enjoy your podcast. So that was, uh, that was uh, pretty cool. So great feedback, John. And let's jump into the news. So did you see this first one, Carl? It was called, uh, uh, well, actually, this one's the future of popular coding tool in doubt after it splits in two. But there were a ton of articles about this, about uh, the forking of Node. Yeah. And uh, apparently this kind of has been a you know, long time rift within the project itself because the guy who started it, you know, got acquired by a company and they kind of 
took over, you know, the stewardship of it. And yeah. he, and he's kind of been phasing out for a while. Well, you know, the the main maintainers around him have been kind of upset at the direction that the company's kind of taking the leadership. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everybody's been saying that they were they were just really slow. It's kind of the theme of what I'm hearing. Yeah. So this this main group of maintainers, which weren't the you know the people who started or the guys that have the rights to it, you know, just say, hey, we're gonna f- take Node, we're gonna fork it. And, you know, there's going to be some changes coming soon that aren't going to be compatible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is uh, I I have mixed feelings on this. So it is kind of cool that, you know, you can just fork something like this. And they so they have this fork called io.js. And it's it's kind of nice because you don't have uh, one company sort of screwing this up. I mean, if 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 everybody is unhappy with the joint and let's say they kind of drove node into the ground, it is nice having that option to to fork it like this and and split off and just say, hey, everybody go here. The problem right now is I, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen if this is going to split the community. And and the nice or one of the things I look for in these types of projects is the community that's around it. And if if we are really splitting that, then that's a big problem. But I, I really think the the biggest issue with this is you know, there's there's hosting platforms. So take Azure as an example, since I work with Azure all the time. Um, you know, Azure has great support for Node. Um, you know, there's there's some places where you can paste it in, uh, but you can you know deploy your Node code within an Azure website or things like that, and uh, and it works great. So the question is, if you start doing io.js, are you not going to be able to use that? You know, is Azure going to have to now have to, you know, start to add like drop downs or a way to pick which one you want, you know, if they really start to uh, go down two different paths. So that's my fear. Anything else on that one? I do. You don't you probably don't do much in uh, Node.js, huh? No, I, I just don't have enough time in the day. I mean, it's something I'd always like to check out, um, but I haven't made that uh, commitment to look at it yet. Yeah, I do about 50-50 JavaScript and uh, in C Sharp. Trish, do you ever, have you looked at uh, Node or used it much? No, I haven't. Okay. I've heard about it and always get excited to learn those new things, but just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, back in the early days of it, it was really cool because, you know, there was there was just Node.js and it was so easy to get started. And now it, it's it's no different than anything else because there's all these other modules around it that you have to you have to learn you have to learn how to you know scaffold your application with yeoman and then set up your build process and um you know f- set up your tests and all these other things and in for each of those modules it's really a decision like which framework you use and it gets it starts to get really challenging but i don't know i uh i go back and forth i i, I love some things about Java, JavaScript, and I love things about C Sharp. And uh, I don't know, I, I I definitely don't choose one over the other. I'm just kind of split 50-50. And in fact, I found, do you guys know what year JavaScript came out? Let's see, take a guess. Don't look it up, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to guess like 95. Uh, I, I was going to say 92. So actually, I found a book that referenced it back in 1859. Here's the the quote. (laughs) It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was in A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. So so sometime before 1859, apparently. (laughs) No, that's really how I feel whenever I'm using it. And uh, recently, uh, Brandon Martinez, the guy who did our website, friend of the show, he's been on a couple times. Uh, he's, uh, I, I've, I've been calling him a lot cause I've been, uh, I've been trying to tackle JavaScript promises and that's, that's been, uh, that's been an adventure. Um, and actually I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to the, our friends over at, uh, codingblocks.net and, uh, they had a podcast. It was a, a couple episodes ago where they talked about JavaScript versus Java versus C sharp versus some other languages for about 20 minutes. So 
If you want to get more of that discussion, I would hop over to their podcast. Uh, let's see. Oh, and then speaking of node, this was a really good post. I referenced this about 80 times this week. This was top 10 mistakes Node.js developers make. And since you guys don't do any Node.js, I guess I'm on my own here. <laughs> so I just wanted to run through this real quick. Um, the first one here was automatic restarts. So, you know, Node, you don't have, um, uh, you know, you don't get like an XE or anything like that. What you end up doing is you say Node and then you run your script. And typically the process that I use is like run your script, make some code changes. It's kind of like build code, build code, build code. It's kind of like that. This is run <laughs> code, run code, run code. Uh, so this show, this pointed me in the direction of this tool called NodeMon, where you can actually just have this thing uh, monitor your source code. And every time you change, uh, every time your source changes, it will actually restart uh, or it'll start your application again. So it's, uh, it's pretty slick for development. Let's see here. What else we got? Some of these have like multiple steps in them, but I'll just do the high level ones. Um, number two, blocking the event loop. Uh, I won't get into that. That's sort of foundational node. Uh, executing a callback multiple times. Uh, number four is the Christmas tree of callbacks. And this is the one where um, everybody calls this uh, callback hell, where you end up uh, nesting these things and they end up going the whole way off the screen. Uh, this is where promises can help. So I recommend reading up on this problem and some of the solutions there, uh, creating big monolithic applications, uh, poor logging. I'm definitely guilty of that one, even though I have a logging website and some frameworks around it. I'm still bad at it. Uh, number seven, no tests. That's a big one. Uh, not using static analysis tools. So that would be something like, you know, JS Lint or, or something like that, which is basically the I always think of that as like the compiler for JavaScript. Number nine is zero monitoring or profiling. Uh, and there's some tools for that. And then the last one is debugging with console log. So this is, I think this is basically uh, the same as one of the previous items on here. Just having logging that, that doesn't just spit out um, on the screen. Doesn't just barf the execution on the screen. Okay. So what do we got next? CSS stats. You found this one, Carl. Yep. I, I, it's at cssstats.com. And it's just a real handy site. You plug in any publicly accessible website into it and it'll just suck down the CSS and give you some statistics on there and kind of plot it out and in a way that makes sense. So when it shows you the colors, it actually shows you colors. When it shows you the size of your fonts, it shows you the size. And it's kind of cool just to kind of get some of those maybe CSS smells out there. You know, maybe you're declaring something, you know, too many times and you can just find ways to get, you know, get rid of it or do it better or Maybe you can just see like, hey, I've just got a bad structure to this. It's a lot of different ways to to visualize the CSS that's on an existing site. And uh, for example, if you go in there and plug in msdevshow.com in there, uh, I was actually really pleased at how well it turned out. We have, you know, a few simple colors that are, are all nice complements of each other. Uh, the font sizes flow very nice and smoothly. They all make sense. Um, so great job to, to Brandon um, as he did that. Um, use this as just another one of those tools to kind of see how you're doing, making sure that, uh, you know, nice little thing to have in your tool belt. Yeah, I, I went here and I put in msdevshow.com and I, to be honest, I wasn't quite sure how to interpret the data. I'm like, okay. I'm like, that kind of looks like, like 198 rules and 500 declarations. I thought that was terrible. And then I put in my, my blog <laughs> and, uh, and then it spits out. Let me see. You get the numbers here. Uh, rules, 1381, 2,500 declarations. There's like you know, three pages of colors and font sizes. And so, um, I probably, I probably need to uh, do some work on the blog CSS there. I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. 
Other than that, I'm not quite sure what to make out of this. Right. I just threw in our website, Mm forimprint.com. We have 3,200 declarations, (laughs) 1,400 rules. This can't, uh, this can't be bad though. Cause I just put in yahoo.com and I know yahoo.com. I mean, they're the ones that hyper optimize their site. So I got this one back. They have 4,500 declarations and almost 2000 rules. You know, I, I don't think that's quite, you know, as big of a culprit, but like, you know, what, what I, th- what I thought was nice is like when it, it shows you the colors on there, you can be like, okay, the, the theming of it is done well. When, when I've put uh, right. some other sites by mind that, I, that I thought were kind of fine, you know, I, I put it in there. I'm like, you know what? you know, I'm doing something wrong. You know, it, it won't necessarily beat it over your, your head with what is wrong, but you know, it's just another indicator. Um, yeah. uh, a friend of our site who I'm not going to mention, um, when you throw in there, well, he's, uh, he's got like about 300 different font sizes using <laughs> rams and pixels and, and picks and M's and just, and a lot of them are repeated because they're generating the same font size over and over again. Kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a Microsoft shell, but if you put in uh, MSN.com, that one is actually extremely impressive. Eight unique background colors. That's it. 257 rules. That's one of the record lows because there's a the new version of MSN.com uh, came out, uh, I think, a few months ago. And it's actually it's not terrible. It, it what, what always impresses me about it, um, this along with like Yahoo, is these pages have so much stuff on them, but they load instantly. I mean, they've gone through, they, they just get so many viewers that it's worth it to go through and like hyper optimize. Yeah. Okay. This is a good one. I'm going to, I'm going to bookmark this site. I like it. Yeah. I, I would think it'd be more helpful. Like during development, you know, while you're making the site, you know, after you do it, it's just like, oh, okay, well it says, you know, maybe the numbers are high, but I don't, I don't know what that means at that point. But yeah, if, while you're doing development, especially since uh, like yahoo.com, there were some colors that, that, well, I guess I'm colorblind, so I should really shouldn't comment, but a couple of them looked really close together. <laughs> so maybe they could have been merged together. Probably bad comment by me. Uh, okay. Introducing .NET Core. What do you think about this, Carl? Have you, have you kept up on this? Well, I, I didn't look at this article as much per se, but you know, yeah. recently at this the, is a long one, <laughs> yeah, it, it is at the connect announcement, you know, Microsoft announced that the core of .NET is, is open source. And because of that, you know, you'll be able to run uh, applications on, on Macintosh, on Linux. And um, there's a lot of really cool, exciting things that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of the, you know, that's sort of the effect of what's going uh, That's one of the, some of the effects of what's going on there. And I think that is uh, pretty major. What I want to see and what I, what I think is happening right now, if you look, there's, there's a diagram on there where they have all these different stacks. Like there's windows desktop, windows store, windows phone, ASP.net. Um, those are all sort of different stacks. And then they show the new picture and it's all nice and pretty of course. And it shows, you know, this common layer at the bottom and everything's built on that. And I think this is going to fix one of my major gripes about .NET, which is, you know, I first ran into this whenever I started doing Silverlight development. Uh, when when Silverlight came out, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I know .NET. So now what I can do is I can write all my .NET code for Silverlight and I get all these magical things. Like, I could do unit testing. <clears throat> Wrong. Totally not the case. Um, you know, with Silverlight the you couldn't you you know they weren't regular projects they were like the special kind of project and you see that today with like windows store they're they're a different project type and to actually uh you know use some of those normal tools they just they don't work quite the same and actually you know this too carl because you uh you recently contributed to my uh my keep moving app on on windows phone and there's three different projects in there and i want to unit test some code in there's actually 
it's begging to be unit tested. And for the life of me, I haven't figured out yet how to actually add in. Cause if I add in a test project, of course it can't reference the other type of project. And, and it's just frustrating. Cause I'm like, it's just, it's all the same thing. It's all C sharp code. Like there should be no reason for this whatsoever. And if I literally copy that code out of there and pasted it into, you know, a, 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 tr- a quote unquote, like pure C sharp uh, project, I would have no problem testing it. And in fact, back in the Silverlight days, that's what I ended up doing. I ended up having a project where I had instead of referencing files, I used linked files so that they would sort of appear in this other project and then I could unit test them. It was, it was terrible. So that's kind of what I'm getting out of this. Yeah. And, and, and this is one that I think that I'm going to have to go back and read in detail because there's a few charts in here that kind of really make it a lot more clear what is in the .NET core mm-hmm. and, and kind of because one of the sections is the Windows Store app model, which kind of left me confused for a bit when I heard about this because you, you kept hearing .NET core, .NET core. Yeah. And I'm like, well, the Windows Store runs off of WinRT. Well, how does that fit? Well, it does. You know, it, it's a small segment. Yeah, well, my understanding, I mean, I think they're still going to get the same core, right? Like if I write, let's say I write some C-sharp code that's just, I don't know, I create a collection and I loop over it and I find the biggest timestamp in there, whatever, well, which I would probably use link for, but whatever, bad example. So I just write my pure C-sharp code that I could literally copy and paste in any, t- I could put it in, 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 uh, you know, Windows Store, Windows Phone, whatever. I know that would run in all those. But depending on what type of project you put it in today, those are different. But going forward, I hope I'm understanding this correctly. The .NET Core will let me, you know, will treat that as like this is this is just this is .NET code. And then there's all these other layers built on top of it where now if I'm doing obviously if I'm doing UI manipulation in like a Windows Store app, then it's going to be a different story because that code has to run in that context. And, you know, my regular tests probably aren't going to work the same. So I think that's I, I, that's what's exciting to me is this is just the way, you know, there were, just because of the way this thing evolved over time, it, it got a little ugly. And this is sort of the the reset to help clean it up. And then it also mentions here being able to take sort of the, this, this whole these whole stacks and then release that as the full .NET framework so that you have that going forward as well. And then the other big thing is uh, being able to bin deploy .NET. So it actually goes along with your application. Instead of having to install the .NET framework, you can actually bring it along with your application. So you can just copy some files in. Obviously, this won't work like that, quite like that on the store. But I could just email you, you know, my my files, and you might not have that the new version of .NET installed, but it's no problem. You just run them right in that folder. Anything else you want to say on that? No, uh, just go read this article. Uh, mm-hmm. We can't. We obviously can't talk about it because it's kind of lengthy. But uh, just check it out and. See what you learn. Yeah. And in most of this is happening out in public. I mean, there's no, there's very few secrets in, in what's going on, but this just shows some of the vision going forward. Oh, and then uh, the only other thing I wanted to bring up on this is I sort of want to bring up the uh, opposing view, uh, which the, the title of this one is uh, .NET core is the future, but what future is that? So we'll link to this in the show notes, obviously, but this is basically uh, complaining about <laughs> this whole strategy. So I talked about how much I like it. And uh, this is basically uh uh, what framework do they make? Um, I can't recall offhand. It's a framework that I don't use. The LLBL Gen Pro. Yeah, yeah. So um, is that it? That must be an ORM. I think it is. Yes. So, yeah. So they make this uh, ORM and it's basically uh, complaining about, um, you know, the future of the full .NET stack. 
And so that article addressed that, but I guess it didn't really say like, Hey, five years from now, we're going to keep having this full.net stack. And I think that's, I think that's the fear is that there's this new thing now and the old framework that you've, you know, invested all this time and money into what's going to happen to that. Are you going to be left behind? And the way I understand how this thing is built, that's not going to happen. But um, I think this guy has some, he has some valid questions and concerns that I think people are going to, going to have to uh, um, grapple with. I, you know, I think he's looking at it kind of early, but um, I think it's worth reading the opposing view as well. Okay. Up next, Azure premium storage, public preview. This one I've been waiting for a long time. So this one in a, in a virtual machine in Azure today, uh, I think I've talked about the disks on the show quite a bit, how, how that actually works, but your, your data disks in Azure, they end up getting replicated across data centers. So they give you a high level of redundancy, but with that comes a cost. So you, you have that can, that can bring on performance issues. And what ends up happening is in an Azure VM, each uh, um, uh, disk that you add in the virtual machine gives you 500 IOPS, and you can add a maximum of 16 disks depending on the VM size. So you can have a, a high-end, at most, you can have uh, 8,000 IOPS within that VM. So this premium storage is a new option where you can pay extra. <clears throat> right now, it's in public preview. So um, I don't know if there's a charge for it yet. Uh, but what you can do is per disk now, instead of the 500 IOPS, you can actually go up to 5,000. Um, so you can get up to, uh, the, you can max this thing out at about 50,000 IOPS. There was a demo recently by, I was at TechEd Europe from Mark Rusinovich. Uh, he was actually demonstrating 60,000 plus IOPS. Um, so check this out. We'll have a link in the show notes. And this actually was, uh, along with a whole bunch of other announcements by Scott Gu, which I'm not going to go through all of those. But uh, this is pretty huge for data intensive applications. This was, I know for a lot of partners and customers, this is one of the things that, that, that holds them back. You know, the Azure CPUs are amazing. The um, uh, memory performance and, and memory available is amazing. And for some applications that are really IO intensive, this was a bottleneck and this solves that. Okay, Carl, you want to talk about shaving? <laughs> Not that I know much about shaving, but uh, this next article is titled How Shaving a Millisecond from a Function Saved $400 a Month on Amazon EC2. Um, so this guy works at, the, at a place called Ex- ExtractBot, and it looks like they provide some sort of service around you know getting data off of, of websites, doing some sort of scraping or something. And they have so much business that, that uh, they're running a lot of instances on, on Amazon and uh, when they were looking for, you know, ways to optimize, they you know, they were looking at their stuff and they found out, you know, there's this just a, a small part of their library that's just get gets hit constantly. Mm-hmm. And they were able to make a, a micro optimization that saved a millisecond every time this function was run. But because of how much that it was scaled out to, it ends up for every second that in real time, they were saving with this optimization 3.7 seconds of compute time. And when they added that all up uh, over, was it, 18 medium instances on Amazon EC2, um, that they were saving $400 a month. So this is one of those things, you know, you know, wait to optimize until you need to. And then then those little optimizations have a huge impact. Yeah. What is it? Premature optimization is the root of all evil. That's the saying. And then what, you know, the way that I looked at this was, um, yeah, I've done this in the past where, you know, we've, we've used a tool like, um, ants profiler was one back in the day. And I think some of this is built into visual studio now, 
but actually I know it's built in visual studio where you can, you know, run through some standard features in your code and then you can go back and it'll actually, um, you know, sum up the amount of time taken per line of code. And then you can sort of get this list and sort by that. So you might have one call that takes 10 seconds, but it only gets called once. And then like this example, you have another example where it's called millions of times, um, even though it, you know, it's only wasting a millisecond. So I recommend, uh, Profile your applications. Don't prematurely optimize, but profile them with some real load and see where you can start to make those optimizations. Okay, let's see here. And then uh, this guy's blog. This guy's blog is amazing. Uh, <laughs> what is this here? How to get more than three phone developer unlocked free three phones developer unlocked per account. Yeah, it's a little bit of mouthful. It's unfortunately this is my article, and I'm not that great at titling oh, things. Oh, I didn't know this was your site, <laughs> wpdevguy.com. Yes. So uh, out of the box, if you're a Windows Phone developer, uh, when you create uh, a developer account, they let you unlock three phones. So that means that you can have three phones. You just plug them into USB, and you can unlock them to sideload any app that you have the source code or a zap file for, or an Apex. And you know, which is fine for a, a long time, but you know, once you get an app to a point where you really need to test it on a lot of different devices, devices that have different capabilities, screen sizes, you know, whether they have NFC or not, you know, depending upon if you need to code around that, sometimes it's nicer to have more than three. It's really limiting, especially if you're like me and you have, you know, a couple dozen phones laying around. I was going to say, you must have a couple dozen there. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can get them raised, but it's not really advertised that you can. And all you have to do is ask is what it comes down to. Okay. Uh, if you go to their developer support support page, you can send them an email. And another thing that I mentioned in this article is just that they'll ask three questions in return. And if you can answer them up front, it'll just save a day or two off your request time. So mm -hmm. I got my uh, quota raised to 10 because that's all I really need. Yep. But they'll ask you what you want. Then you just call and be like, do you know who I am? I'm Carl. I'm the Carl. And they'll be like, who? <laughs> well, if that doesn't work. Yeah. Then answer these three questions. Yeah. So uh, if you're in that situation where you're looking to get more than three uh, developer uh, unlocked phones, uh, check out this blog post. It'll give you the right links and show you what uh, questions to answer. Okay, cool. I, uh, I only have two that are dev unlocked. One is the 639 or 635 that I got on, uh, on black Friday. And then I have my main phone, but, uh, yeah, I think most of these are just soft limits to, so that people don't shoot themselves in the foot, I suppose. Uh, okay. What do we got here next? Uh, use Bitcoin to pay for online Microsoft services and goods. So I heard this and I saw this and I, I don't know. So what, you know, it, it's something that just got a lot of news. I, I figured we put it in there, <laughs> uh, just for that. But if you're one of the, those people that has Bitcoin and want to use it, uh, the main limitation that I didn't think was quite clear from a lot of these up front is you can really only use it to get like the online gift cards where you can use it in the stores. So you can use it like to get videos and apps and mm -hmm. stuff like that. You can't really use it to, you know, buy a laptop with. Yeah. So, and I just, I don't get it. I mean, what am I missing here? So sure. If, if I'm sitting on, you know, a mountain of Bitcoin, maybe I want to use it this way. Cause it's, I suppose it's better than going to, uh, to website, you know, some shady website and trying to get it exchanged for cash. But, um, um, I don't know. I mean, there's no, um, it's not anonymous, right? Because they, they have to know what your account is and all that. Um, in this particular case, right. If you buy a movie, they need to associate it with your account. 
either way it, it's it's a new option yeah oh uh, yeah i'm so i'm sorry for being so negative i i just uh i was just curious to be honest um I, i've never bought bitcoin i've never felt like generating it because it there's a lot of work that goes into it i wish i had done it on day one because <laughs> i'd be rich but um you know i haven't i haven't had any reason to generate them and now i'm just i'm afraid to buy one just because i've heard you know so many bad things about um you know these places that are selling bitcoin or trading bitcoins so i up until this mo or i should say you know i've pretty much uh, stayed out of that business so far trish do you have any bitcoin no Bitcoin. No I can't Bitcoin. even say that I really understand the whole process <laughs> of mining for Bitcoin and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You need, yeah, you need, it's, it's really GPU incense in, intensive. So, um, you, you basically have to like fill your house with, uh, with uh, graphics cards. And then I'm guessing that the, the police will show up at your door cause they think that you're running like grow lights or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then you can hope to generate, uh, you know, as many Bitcoin as your electric bill costs, uh, plus, you know, paying for the hardware. Um, it's interesting though, cause it does, it is nice having sort of an anonymous way to, to purchase things. Um, I could see how that would be useful. I mean, there's like VPN services out there. I mean, there's people are, people are really paranoid about, um, uh, you know, being spied on, whether it's our government or foreign governments. And if you want to, uh, let's say pay for a VPN service, as an example, you could use something like Bitcoin and you could be completely anonymous. Uh, cause then there's really no record of it. Cause that Bitcoin isn't tied to you like at all. Um, you know, so there's some interesting things like that. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a group of people that just want to have, you know, a pure digital currency available to them. So I'm sort of in the same boat as you. I don't, you know, it's in the real world. I don't, I don't really get it. It's not, uh, it's not a big thing with the people that I talk to, but it's certainly interesting and newsworthy. Yeah. It all sounds a little shady to me. <laughs> Okay, what do we got here? Oh, Christmas apps. So Microsoft really wants its developers to be successful. And mm -hmm. one of the things that they just, you know, want you to know it, if you have an app that you're preparing to go into the store, if you want it in guaranteed by Christmas, you have to have it submitted by December 16th. Okay. So, um, you know, there's still a chance that if you get it in afterwards that it might get in, but it's not guaranteed at that point. And uh, if you click on this on this link too, they go on a little bit more to just say, you know, hey, there's going to be over a hundred million dollars in gift cards going out this wow, year for Windows crazy. for the Windows Store alone. And uh, you know, a lot of them come like if people buy laptops, you know, they're getting gift cards with those laptops and stuff like that. So in order for you to cash in on these people who have fresh gift cards, you know, l let's get our apps in the store now. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, the 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 process now of submitting an app and getting that approved is so quick. Now it's amazing. Uh, okay. Well, let's talk to Trish. Let's get into it. Huh? Okay. So, uh, Trish, we got, we got a sort of a potpourri of things that we wanted to talk about. We wanted to pick your brain and a couple of subjects and we just, I mean, we, we wanted to keep it real conversational and see what kinds of things you're working on. Okay. So I, so, yeah, I, yeah, I, I know that we've had, you know, a lot of, a lot of people from Microsoft product groups on here. So we're happy to talk to you. So what do you got going on, Trish? Okay. Well, I work for a company called for imprint. Mm -hmm. um, we sell promotional products and we have a pretty large e-commerce website that we are nearing the end of the process of moving it entirely to Azure mm -hmm. or almost entirely to Azure. So that's our biggest project that we're working on right now. Um, the main reasons that we are moving to Azure is scaling. Mm -hmm. um, 
and we're just having a hard time getting all the bandwidth that we need. Yeah. So how do you, how do you host it now? I mean, do you guys have like servers in your building or? Yes. Okay. Oh, they're actually, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, so we're all in, you know, we're all in Wisconsin and, and bandwidth uh, isn't necessarily that great around here. (laughs) And our company has been growing a lot. Okay. So, uh, having the ability to just add a few extra servers whenever we need them yeah. or take them down will be a real, make it a lot easier. Yeah. yeah I could see how that'd be uh, a huge deal to, I think the, almost the, the smaller the company, the bigger the deal it is. Cause you, you know, if you, uh, you know, you don't have, if you need to expand quickly, not everybody has, you know, money to just like start filling up uh, the co-location centers and all that. So pretty cool. Yep. Um, yes, yeah, so that was a, that's a big one. And then uh, we uh, we had to do a lot of, with our TFS on-prem, mm-hmm. um, we had to do a lot of custom things for our build. And it turns out the deploy to Azure is going to be a lot simpler. Okay. So that was a, a big sell because it takes up a lot of a lot of our dev time. Okay. Just, yeah. just taking care of that. How big is your team? Our team, we have 11 developers. Okay. Okay. Um, that's a good size, but I mean, you can't really be wasting a lot of time though, either. No. Yeah. And we have, we have a few websites too, that, that we're working on and some mobile apps. So we're spread out and, uh, we'd, we'd rather be writing code. Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of steps are we take are you taking there to make it work with Azure or, or are you doing anything in particular to, to do that? Um, well, it's actually, are, are we just talking about the deployment process? Yeah, I, I guess, I guess the, I think what he's asking is around, um, you had mentioned servers. I mean, are you guys just, are you guys just using servers in Azure or are you guys sort of building for Azure where you're, you know, like, yeah, deploying it direct somehow? What does that look like? Well, we're using, using a visual studio online mm-hmm. and we'll probably be using continuous integration. Okay. Um, to, for that, mm-hmm. uh, we're, yeah, we're using websites for, okay. Our websites. Originally, we were thinking of using cloud services. Yeah. But uh, so many things have been added to websites since then that that's sufficient yeah. for what what we need. Well, I'm actually um, glad to hear that because that's what I keep telling people to use. I mean, until you you know, unless you need something that's not available there, it's by far the easiest thing that you can do. You just deploy your website and call it a day. Yeah, I think I think it's great for for me personally when I'm just throwing up a small website, mm-hmm. um, even for a demo. It's so easy to just start one up. Um, we're already using Azure CDN to serve up our images on our website. Okay. Um, and that's been working great for a few months now. We'll be using Service Bus, SQL Azure, um, Blob and Table Storage. Okay. Um, and we use VMs for a few other things too. Okay. So, so a lot of a lot of the stuff. So, so it sounds like you, you're taking a, a gradual, you know, prog, uh, or pro, and progressive uh, transition into Azure. It's not like you're just like, hey, we have this new project, let's do it all in Azure. You're kind of just taking bits and pieces of your existing stuff and slowly upgrading them. Um, yeah, we have been doing that, but the end of the year, beginning of next year, we plan on moving the site in pretty much its entirety to Azure. Okay. That's very cool. So yeah. yeah so you, well, I, yeah, I think, uh, so you said you started using the CDN first and that's in production today. It is in production. Okay. That's pretty cool. Are you guys, um, 
you guys run out of multiple data centers then? I mean, do you, uh, uh, you know, is this all deployed to like, you know, Chicago or is this, um, or do you guys actually deploy it to multiple geographic locations? Um, I'm not actually sure, okay. but I imagine we would definitely be in multiple locations. Yeah. I know with the, with the CDN, that's a piece of cake. And then also with websites, that'd be pretty easy to do. It's just a matter of like, you know, do you guys use, um, uh, SQL database on the back end? Yes. Okay. And are you guys using the, uh, the Azure, the Azure SQL database now? Yeah, we will be. Okay. Very cool. Um, yeah. I was actually going to ask you a question because sure. I'm not completely sure. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> when, when, like, what's the difference for um, table storage, SQL Azure, document DB? When would I want to <laughs> use one instead of the other? It seems like there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, that, um, that's, that's, so that's a really good question. So I would say, you know, SQL Azure is, is really the cloud version of, of SQL server, right? So if you have, if your website is already using SQL server, then I would say that using, you know, it's actually called SQL database up in Azure, which I think is confusing. I think it should be called SQL Azure. So I'm going to call it that. Uh, that's what it used to be called. So in, in that case, if you already have a database, I would I would probably say just use SQL Azure. So that's that's sort of the the easy way out. Um, and then if we start talking about like table storage, table storage is you know a, it's a key value store, so it's a little bit more of a hassle to use, especially if you are already using uh, SQL database. But um, the the big disadvantage of it is that you don't get any secondary indexes. So what that means is if you you know, if you put your, you know, products in there as an example, um, and you want to, uh, query based on, you know, give me all the products that are yellow, you know, you're not gonna be able to do that. That's good. That's going to be an operation that takes a long time. So again, I think, you know, a SQL Azure would be a better fit there. Um, and then document DB is actually, if you're building uh, a new application, uh, you know, SQL data or, um, Sorry, DocDB starts to make a ton of sense. So it lets you store basically JSON documents into a database that was designed to be cloud first, where it does uh, indexing on all of the fields automatically. Uh, it scales, uh, you know, basically infinitely. We had uh, uh, we had one of the PMs on the show a few episodes ago talking about that. You know, I asked the question, how how high does this scale? And he said, how much money do you have? So, <laughs> which is a great answer. There's some limits around collection sizes, but overall, um, it's possible to scale that thing pretty much to infinity. So if you needed to sort of get to a new scale limit, then, then I would potentially look at document DB, or if you guys do a lot of work with JSON documents, then I would look at document DB. But again, I think if you guys are already doing stuff with uh, SQL server, then SQL Azure is probably the way to go. And now there's a lot of options where you can pay, essentially pay extra for better performance. There's, there's a lot of tiers that you can pay for. So you can basically dial in the amount of performance that you need there. Does that make sense? Yeah, actually document DB sounds like something I'll need to play around with. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, especially, especially if you're working with um, like JavaScript or something like that, uh, where it's really easy to go back and forth between JSON or even C sharp, you know, does give you uh, some mechanisms for that. There is a, there's an SDK for .NET. There's a nice SDK for like Node.js. Uh, there's a Java SDK uh, around the corner. Um, I th it's really slick. Like I said, if you're building something new, I would definitely take a look at DocDB, especially if it's a new cloud native application, because DocDB doesn't suffer. Like you don't, it's not like MongoDB where you actually have to manage the install or anything like that. I mean, it's a fully managed service. So you just say, here are my JSON documents. 
They automatically get indexed. Everything sort of works like magic and the features are pouring. I mean, just new features came out just this week for it too. Um, so I would look at that one for probably for new applications or if you really are, you know, if you guys are on a, on a JSON document kick, then that might be one of some, something you look at, or if you just plan on scaling to, you know, some pretty high limits, that would, that would be another reason to take a look at it. Make sense. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. So as you and your company have made this transition to start using Azure, you know, what are things that you've seen that you've, you've really liked or didn't expect and maybe something that's not so great about Azure? Um, well, they don't, they don't let me do much of the architecting, <laughs> to be honest. But, <laughs> but you still get to use the features of it. So is, is there anything that you've got, you know, Actually, you're like, I, wow. I, Actually, I do have a question about that then, Trish, not, not okay. to, not to take us on a tangent. So <laughs> how is that managed? So, I mean, do you have access to like the Azure portal for the company? I do actually. Okay. Um, I, I got to be sort of a guinea pig mm-hmm. about a year ago. Um, they had me make some internal apps using Orchard CMS okay. and hosting it on Azure. Okay. And I, I think those were the first two sites that we had completely on Azure. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting a, getting access to. Okay. So does the whole dev team then have access to the Azure account or is it you and maybe like one or two other people? Um, I'm not sure if everyone does. Yeah. But most but of you guys do. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was just kind of curious about that. Not sorry to derail you there, but. And he, Carl, Carl's question was around like, what, you know, have you run anything you you like or don't like about it? Um, I know that we've had some issues with data sync and we've had to split things into multiple data sync groups okay. because um, they would just fall apart and uh, sometimes even stop provisioning. So is that a, you have an on-prem SQL database you're trying to sync with, with Azure? Is that what, is that what you mean by data sync? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so that's, that's one of the issues that, that we ran into. Um, is that going to go away once you're, I guess, fully in Azure since you won't have to sync data anymore, or is there still a requirement to have that local? Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the hybrid scenarios are always tricky, right? You know, especially if you guys have to sync all that data, but if you can, if you can get everything in Azure, I think, I think that really simplifies the architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope that'll get easier. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of things in the transition that are going to just go away, mm-hmm. hopefully. Um, so maybe that'll be one of them. Okay. Nice. And then you said you're, so you're doing continuous deployment with uh, Visual Studio Online. That's the plan? Yes. Okay. That's pretty cool. So, so whenever you make a code change, is that going to go into production or are you guys, are you guys have... Not I'm true. hoping that whenever I make a code change, <laughs> it's not going to go straight into production. Yeah, but, that's, um, that's what everybody's thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know it'll be um, a lot faster okay. for us. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys, I mean, are you guys under the the mindset now that you're going to do, um, you know, like eight deployments a day? <laughs> um, we'll be doing them more often. Okay. <laughs> Not committing to like eight, to, you know, to 20 a day yet. Yeah. Don't make me commit to things. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I'm not sure how many, but since it'll be a lot easier, yeah. you know, whenever we make a fix, it'll be a lot faster. Yeah. So step um, one, remove the friction. Step two, you know, deploy more often. Yeah. Okay. And, and I remember when we were working together, Jason, uh, for, mm-hmm. for a while, we were on a, a very 
regular weekly cadence. Like we, we could have done it more often, but you know, we would make a week's worth of features and we would publish them Yeah, and just do that. So I, I, I know even back, you know, a couple of years ago when, when Azure was a lot younger, it was still fairly easy to get that, you know, you know, continuous integration working in a fairly smooth manner. Yeah. And we had a, we had a staging environment, so we would, we would test in that first, but I think the kind of the, the trend that I've been seeing is to have, uh, you know, you put everything into production, but you, you put in flags that turn features on and off. So a, a deployment doesn't equal a release, right? So mm-hmm. a release is a, is a separate thing and you can test it out with a smaller group and then, and then push it out uh, to the wider audience. Yeah. We do that sort of thing too. Um, it's also really a pain once you push something out and there's a little bug that's just annoying. <laughs> it's, it's nothing terrible, but you fix it and then you have to wait until, until the next deploy to yep, yep. actually have it fixed in production. Yeah. Which, so that's, that's one of the things you can get with that, you know, with being able to continuously release like that. Yeah. Um, and then I know we were talking and you had mentioned, uh, you mentioned that you were going to be doing some stuff with Xamarin. So what, uh, yeah. what do you think in there? Um, I'm really excited mm-hmm. for that. Um, we, Xamarin's kind of been, since we have this Azure thing and we want to get it done the end of the year, it's been pushed aside a little bit for now, but we have one app, um, for our customers that is just about ready to go to the store. Mm-hmm. And we're excited about that one. That'll be our first mobile app in the store. Um, and then we have some some really fun ideas and projects that we're starting. Uh, I don't want to give away the good ones. <laughs> That's fine. Well, you guys. So did yeah. you guys start with Xamarin then? That's the the existing app. Yes. Okay. Yes, it's just so far. It's just iPhone. Okay. Um, but especially with Xamarin Forms coming out, it'll be even easier than it was to right. to get an Android app out there too. Right. Right. So. Yeah, you guys just haven't pulled the trigger on that yet. So yeah. So I'm assuming you guys started with Xamarin to get that cross-platform out of the box, or was there another reason? Like you, you guys are already Microsoft developers using Visual Studio and C Sharp. Right, that's a really big one. Every we're we're a Microsoft shop for mm-hmm. the most part, so not having to learn a new language <laughs> is pretty nice. I've done a little bit of Objective C, and not a fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a. Few, I actually enjoyed it. Um, I really loved the class names. Like you just this. lost all your credibility. <laughs> <laughs> now continue. They're, they're just so long and fun to read. I can't help it. They make me laugh. Yeah. As I'm coding. Yeah. Um, and don't you love like NS object? It's like what? <laughs> yeah. See, see that I don't like, Yeah, I just like the, the really long method. Yeah. That's from the, the, what is it? Next step days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just a, there's a lot of new stuff to learn Yeah, and just going into doing mobile, even in the same, even doing it in C sharp, there's a lot of, um, a lot of new things that you have to learn. So cutting out, learning the new language just makes it that much easier. And then cross-platform, yeah, that's a big deal. So one thing I'm curious about with Xamarin is, you know, I've talked to some companies. It's like, hey, Xamarin, you know, you guys have a whole bunch of C-sharp developers. Instead of spending a fortune on retraining everybody, why don't you look at Xamarin? 
And it's like, oh, well, it's, I don't know what the price is, you know, let's say $2,000 per developer. They're like, and, and, and actually what they do is, I don't know why people have this, this funny way of doing math, but they, they go, well, we have a hundred uh, developers. So that's going to be $200,000. Uh, that's a lot of money. Like, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> you know, what is, what is your total payroll for those hundred developers? And you know, what is the, what is the percentage there? So in my mind, it's, it's, it's cheap paying for that extra productivity. So I'm curious if, if you were privy to any of those discussions or if, if you were the one really trying to sell Xamarin, like, you know, how how did that go down the, the choice to, to, to go that route and was cost an issue? That was before I was here. Okay. Um, well, that's pretty lucky. I've been here for <laughs> um, about a year and a half. Okay. Um, and so actually when I was interviewing, I think that was, that came up. Okay. Um, I had had a class on Xamarin and a little bit of Xamarin experience. Mm-hmm. So that was helpful to me. Yeah. Um, and I was excited about that too. So you had just backing up a sec, cause I, you, I know that you've, you've taken, I think you, you graduated and then took a lot of classes after that, right? So you seem to love school. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. And I'm back sort of. Now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I have a bachelor of arts okay. from a long time ago. I don't want to say exactly, but, um, <laughs> completely unrelated. Okay. Um, so two years ago I decided to I got into software development. A friend friend just introduced me to it. I took a class at the tech school and I just fell for it. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. I couldn't believe that people actually could get away with doing this yeah. for a living. <laughs> um, Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Is that a secret? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I haven't been doing this for very long. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was cool that you you take a lot of classes on it uh, on different things. But they did they act? Did you actually take a class where they taught Xamarin? I did. That's cool. So they have um, different certificates. Okay. Um, software, web, mobile, and the mobile certificate, the intro class. Um, I think they decided to use Xamarin so they could get all the platforms in. Um, they use C sharp in the software development program, mm-hmm. so it's something that everyone would have a base in. And so then they could, we could practice doing iPhone and Android and then just using visual studio for our windows phone okay. in that class. Yeah. I had no idea that the schools were using that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was. Okay. Um, and then another topic that you, I know that you're interested in that I'm interested in as well is uh, data science. So, um, I was just curious if you had any interesting applications in mind for data science or, you know, kind of what's your interest there? Um, well, nothing specific mm-hmm. really, but um, I was at that conference mm-hmm. in August and I went to machine learning talk mm-hmm. and it was so good. Um, and of course the speaker made it sound really easy <laughs> as, and simple as good speakers do. And, uh, it kind of reminded me that I should, I should get back in. I I'm missing like this huge chunk of computer science. That's yeah. math. Yeah. And so, so that's why I'm back in school again now, but um, <laughs> just taking like math classes. I bombed a final this morning, but that's besides the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> it would, the idea of taking just a bunch of seemingly random facts and data mm-hmm. and, making sense out of them um, 
and finding something meaningful is just, it's a, it's an interesting idea and just makes sense. Right. Um, also being in e-commerce, there's a lot of really practical applications. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. I mean, you guys, I mean, if you look at like what you want to show on the front page as an example, um, mm-hmm. especially if it's like a repeat uh, visitor or maybe they're not even a repeat visitor just based on what they've looked at. I know um, Amazon, it, it's almost, uh, it's almost to the point of, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just hilarious. Uh, some of the things they suggest, uh, you know, I, I'll read something, I'll look at something because it has funny comments or something like there's a, there's a tank you can buy from Amazon, but then they think that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in like heavy artillery for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's like that side of things, but, um, yeah, actually optimizing around, uh, you know, showing people, the right information I think is pretty huge, but there's, man, there's so many industries. This is, it is such a hot topic right now. If you can get good at data science, if you can, uh, next time, uh, pass that, that math test and then get good. at data. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't know enough about data science to know how much math there is. I know that there's, you know, all these different, uh, algorithms that you essentially apply. And I, I saw a demo and it was, it was one of the most amazing demos I've ever seen where, they were using, uh, you know, the presenter was using Azure uh, machine learning and it was just drag and drop, you know, drop this, uh, the, you know, this, um, um, you know, I don't know what that, what do they call them? It, it, Cause it, you're, you're perform you're, you're creating an experiment and you're dropping these algorithms, I guess you call them onto the, onto the surface. And you're just like hooking them together. And he pushed a button and he created this, uh, he operationalized, he pushed a button, it created a web service. And basically you could pass in information about somebody who walked into a bike store and it would tell you whether or not they're going to buy a bike as an example. And it was just mind blowing. And then obviously people have applied that to the stock market and, um, yeah, retailers use it heavily, but there are not enough data scientists out there. So if that's something that, uh, that you, uh, that you are interested in, then, uh, there's so many opportunities out there. Working on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, I really enjoy getting the email suggestions from Amazon because sometimes it seems like they, they know exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. And other times I, I'm just baffled. Like, how did they come up with this? Yeah. And maybe it's something that I didn't even know that I wanted, but now I do. So, um, so go to Amazon and tell me what's on there right now. I'll tell you what's on mine. So, <laughs> so this is funny. This is, this is really funny. So the first one is like audio recorders and that's because of some podcast hardware. Uh, the second one though is men's leather watches and it's got all these like super expensive watches. And the reason was <laughs> my, uh, Carl, you, you, this would have been one of your old professors too. He showed me this watch that he had and it was a, it was like a gold Rolex. And I was curious how much it costs. It was like, you know, it was like a $20,000 watch. So of course I searched for that. Well, now Amazon thinks that I'm like a watch connoisseur, which I'm not. Um, so I got that. And then, um, I have some, uh, devices on here to untangle my headphones. And then there's a whole bunch of headphones. looks like a lot of organizational things. Oh, and then stickers. Yeah. Lots of stickers. (laughs) So what do you have, Trish? So (laughs) right at the top, there is some books and they seem to all be themed George R.R. Martin. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Um, nice. And then a couple juicing books because I like to juice. Okay. Um, and I do look at those pretty often. There is There are some wearables, Fitbits on here. Okay. Um, I don't have any yet, but I look at them sometimes. I also do um, have the five top uh, women's holiday dresses on here. Ooh, you can send send that my way. Okay. 
That's my, my <laughs> wife actually uses the same account. So I get some interesting stuff in here once in a while. Sure. Let's see. I do have um, jackets. I, I buy way too many jackets. <laughs> nice. What about you, Carl? What's showing up on yours? So uh, the first one is dress shoes, men's dress <laughs> shoes. I see some grill accessories. I had a conversation. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, we had a yeah. conversation the other day about, about grills. And then I get a whole bunch of books. And it's really interesting. It's a combination of health food books. I, I've been doing a, a kind of a new diet that's been really successful. But yep. intermixed with that, I see a book called Fifty Shades of Bacon. <laughs> do they know you or what that's machine learning right there people yeah <laughs> oh nice I, it's funny that it's with the diet books too <laughs> and it's literally right in the middle there's there's five of them and it's the third one it's like the contrast of good and evil like right in front of you just playing out but anyway i think we're we're probably way off topic but uh that was that was a fun exercise <laughs> yeah well another thing that we wanted to talk to you trash is i mean you you said you've been in this field for, you know, a fairly short period of time, but, you know, I personally have seen you at every user group, uh, our local user group. I've seen you at the code camps and conferences. You know, what motivates you to go to these events? Because I know a lot of people that have been in the field longer, maybe should, maybe should even be speaking that don't go near them. I don't even feel like I need motivation to go. I have so much fun mm -hmm. at all of them all the time. Um, I got started by... When I was taking class classes, I had a teacher who encouraged us to go. And um, so I was able to go with people from my class. We even went as a class from time to time. Um, so I, I kind of got eased into that, which which made me more comfortable. Mm -hmm. So by the time I started going by myself, I knew people. Um, but it, it's really fun to be around people who enjoy the same things that you like. And um, I find I also find that whenever my motivation is lagging when it comes to personal projects and stuff like that, um, it always like reboots me talking to people about it. That's such a good point. That's so true. Yeah, it's contagious. Mm -hmm. The excitement for it. So yeah, I I just re I really like going to them. Yeah, even if it's even if it's something I have no idea what it's about. Yeah. I always, I always come away with something. Yeah. Even if it's side waffle, it's still fun. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. I'm sorry, Carl. <laughs> I just thought there's like, it just happens. <laughs> it's, it's a reflex. I can't, I can't control it. No, side waffle's great. No, I, what I, the, honestly though, the reason I go, I just like talking to everybody. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. That's, that's my favorite part. Yeah. Cool. Asking Jason questions. Yep. Yep. Yeah, did you uh, did you get that working in Windows Ten? Um, I haven't even been on. Oh, okay, since then. okay, okay. And then uh, one other thing that that uh, we want to talk about that we just got a kick out of was uh, it was an email from. It's funny we we mentioned Brandon like eighteen times in the show, but uh, Brandon got an email from a recruiter, and you have a copy of it. You want to uh, talk about that? <laughs> I do. He gave me he gave me permission to read it too. So. <laughs> He sent he sent us all this email yeah. um, asking if if we thought it was a sneaky way to uh, get technical interviews these days. And it says, hey, Brandon, my name is 
blank. I am an IT staffing specialist working in .NET development opportunities. I'm not very technical. I was doing some research on Stack Overflow and came across your profile. I was wondering if you would explain to me the difference in ASP.NET compared to VB, C Sharp, and MVC programming. (laughs) We have opportunities in all these realms. Would you be able to help me out since you have experience? Let me know. Yeah. Here's my number. Yeah. So... Don't, don't fall for it, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a recruiter. But what killed me was the technologies the guy was trying to explain. Like, I almost wanted to just reply to him just, just out of like anger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he said difference in ASP.NET as compared to VB.NET, C Sharp. And MVC. Well, yeah. Well, that one actually makes sense. But comparing like VB.NET uh, and C Sharp to ASP.NET doesn't make any sense. I, I mean, the, like the, I don't think the guy, I think the guy's genuine, <laughs> Well, <laughs> He's it, sneaky and genuine. Well, I, I don't think it's as much genuine It's just, you know, like clever putting together a question that's going to incite you to like want to correct them. I mean, a lot of us have that tendency in there. Like, no, that's wrong. I, I need to set you straight on that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Yeah, I almost ran a reply to that guy. I'm going to track him down. <laughs> I um, I told Brandon he should reply to him incorrectly. Yeah, and just just see see what happens. See if you can keep him going. Yeah. yeah. Um. I I know Fortran, and it's better than .NET. <laughs> <laughs> can you get me higher? <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, we're gonna move on. Okay, sure. Azure pick of the week. What do we got? suppose you want me to talk about this, huh? Yes. <laughs> I'll keep this one short and sweet. So Azure for government. Uh, if you are a government agency, there is a special Azure just for you. So it's run by, uh, there's a whole bunch of requirements about um, being run by U.S. citizens for uh, for government data centers. And this uh, complies with all the different regulations and, and rules around that. So if you're a government agency, you can use the Azure for government data centers. I think there's, I think there's a couple of them, but there's a, you know, a specific offering just for that. Um, and that's, I think about all I'm going to say about that, but I, I still think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And if you're interested, if you have, if you are a member of a government in IT, or if you have a client that's in government, you know, there's some instructions on there on how to sign up for it and, and get the ball rolling that way too. So we'll have that in the show notes. Yep. Very cool stuff. And then apps of the week, we got, uh, looks like we got about 30 apps of the week here. Well, so yeah, it, <laughs> it's halfway through December and it's nearly Christmas. So this is our uh, Christmas present for you. Um, oh, so these are the Christmas apps of the week. <laughs> in fact, the first one really is it's, it's called digital gift cards and this is by Microsoft. It's an app that lets you send gift cards that are good in the, in the windows store, the windows phone store, you know, you know, anywhere where you can use those gift cards for videos, music, whatever. Um, you can go in there, you can pick out the image. So if it's, you know, somebody's birthday or Christmas or, you know, whatever, they've got a whole bunch of stuff that are seasonal. You can give summer ones, all that. Um, you know, it's wires in your contact list. So you can select people from your email address really quick. Uh, you can schedule it out. So if you know that, you know, like Jason's birthday <laughs> is like out there and I just don't want to forget this time, uh, you can schedule it. And, you know, when it gets like a, a, the day of his birthday, it'll send it out right away in the morning. So there's a lot of really cool features like that. One thing that, you know, I, I will say, though, just because there there was a comment that was looking at the reviews of it. This, <laughs> this guy gave a one star com, uh, you know, rating <laughs> to this app. He said the app is free, but the cards are not free. 
<laughs> yeah, you do have to pay for these gifts that you're oh, giving. Oh man, that that ruins it. So if anybody out out there was confused, and and you know, it, it it's just like a regular gift card you would pick up at Walmart or whatever, except you can do it from your phone. If you're on your way to the Christmas party and forgot Grandma's birthday, well, she's got a Windows phone. You can give her a present on on your way. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, don't do that while driving. <laughs> uh, the next app is called Duo Web, and uh, it's kind of cool. It's a web browser that lets you look at two websites, either side by side or above and below each other, depending upon on how you have your phone oriented. I know this is really great, even on phone. You know, I have a five inch uh, screen phone now that I'm using, and I know Jason has the the fifteen twenty. It's got the six inch. There's a lot of real estate. Sometimes you want to have multiple websites up at once. And this app allows you to do that. Um, they got a lot, a lot of really cool features. And, like, you know, they got your standard stuff like the navigation um, and, and all that. But it, they let you switch between the mobile and desktop views really quickly. I found that to be really useful on this app. And, uh, yeah, check it out if you're interested in having a functionality like that. Okay. And the final app of the week this week is just a huge one that came out, at least the most important one that my kids thought of. Um, Minecraft Pocket Edition is now out on Windows Phone. Oh, that's the wrong button. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) The audience likes it too. Yeah. First, they laugh for some silly reason. Yeah. So, so yeah, did you grab this? Uh, did you grab this one? Or you said you're, uh, yeah, you did grab this one, right? I, I grabbed it because all of my kids have phones that are, are, are linked to my account so I can just buy it once and they can all kind of share it. Yep. And yeah, the moment they got home from school and I told them they just grabbed the phones and <laughs> I didn't see them for a couple hours. Yeah. Kids love Minecraft. Trish, do you play Minecraft? No, oh. no, I never have. Yeah. I, um, I didn't really understand it. It was a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, well, maybe like a year and a half ago, I had, I tried, uh, it was the iOS version at the time and I picked it up and tried it. And it's like a really easy way to do it without having to grab, you know, the uh, pay for the, the full desktop version, all that. So, um, yeah, this is a good way to, uh, to check it out is to just pay the, the seven bucks and, 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 and jump into it and give it a try. It's, it's, uh, it's fun for a while. It's like Legos. And then I have a tip of the week. This is something I've been doing. So another one of my uh, Black Friday deals was uh, I actually picked up a, a Kindle and I've never had one before. And I've always wanted to try one, but they were always, uh, uh, you know, it was always kind of a gamble. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to plop down some money. So I ended up getting one for 35 bucks, which I thought was a heck of a deal. And uh, so then I, I was trying to figure out, I actually didn't want to read a lot of books on it. The reason I bought it, I wanted to read other content on it. And, uh, so there's a, there's an extension that you can get for Google Chrome. So whenever you find like a long form article that you want to read later, such as that.net article that we saw or that we found earlier, uh, what I do is I push the button and that actually sends it over to my Kindle for free, uh, over the Wi-Fi. And then whenever I'm sitting around or uh, I go somewhere and I take the Kindle with me, I can sit there and read that on there. And because of the screen, it's so much easier to read than sitting there and, and reading on the phone. So I've just, it's really changed, uh, uh, you know, how I read those long form articles. And then it actually motivated me at what I wanted to do was, um, find something that would let me send new RSS items over to the Kindle. Cause you can actually send an email to the Kindle and it'll pop up as an item. And there's some services out there and, and they're just, they're all terrible. 
Uh, some of them are, are sort of shut down. They don't accept any new users. Other ones just didn't work the way I wanted. There's like Instapaper and it sort of makes like this weekly newspaper for you, which I thought was kind of silly because that's not what I want. What I want is whenever there's a new RSS item, I just want to, that to pop in on the Kindle pretty much, you know, as immediately as possible. So what I did was I, uh, you know, like any programmer, I resorted to code. So I wrote, um, I have it out in GitHub. I really don't want to link to, oh, okay. It says on here, get a link to Jason's GitHub, but uh, you can look at it. It's it's sort of non-functional at this point because uh, I don't have any instructions on how to use it yet. But I have a little script out there that what it'll do is it'll uh, it'll go read some uh, you know whatever RSS reads or feeds that you put into it, and uh, new items it will use uh, SendGrid to uh, to email that over to you. So it 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 works pretty good. Like I said though, the code is kind of a mess right now in GitHub. I'm working on cleaning that up. I'm actually converting all the callbacks over to use promises. And structuring the code reasonably right now, it'll make your eyes bleed for sure. It was a proof of concept. And I actually am able to run this inside of a free Azure web job, which is pretty cool. So I went out and I created a f- absolutely free website on Azure and then created a web job. And I told it to run every hour. Uh, and I basically uploaded a zip file with my code and I didn't have to change my code at all. So I basically said, please run my node script every hour. And every hour it goes out, checks the feeds. If there's uh, if there are new items, it will email them to my Kindle's email address and they magically pop onto my device. It's really cool. So, uh, yeah, that's just uh, really changed the way that I uh, that I consume that long form content. I used to just skim through it and pretend like I read it. Now I actually read it. <laughs> <laughs> and now that brings us to the question of the week. What? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were talking earlier. I said you were, you, you, you actually listen to the show, which is awesome. Um, a lot of people we have on here say, have you listened to the show? No. So the game always uh, takes them by surprise, but you know exactly what's going on. Don't you, you know, exactly. I'm ready. You know how to play. <laughs> uh, number one. Oh, gee, I didn't even say ask you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you're number one. Would you rather take a long bumpy ride sitting jammed in the baby in the baby seat of a small shopping cart? Or take a long ride in the empty part of a cement truck that usually holds the cement and is turning. <laughs> oh my gosh, the the cement truck. That sounds like fun. Well, isn't it going to be like pitch black though? There's a hole in the Maybe. back. Maybe. Well, if it's open, it still I guess. sounds like fun. Do they keep that open? Yeah, there's there's nothing that covers it. Of course you would know that. <laughs> Carl, he, he's like infinite wisdom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I believe you, Carl. I know that you know that. That's just, that's awesome. You know everything. Uh, so pick a number between one and four, Carl. Three. Three. Okay. Would you rather be stuck on an island for two years with 20 friends of your choice? Well, that's pretty good. Or be stuck in an island for two years with 20 famous people of your choice? I'd have to go with the friends. Okay. Could they, could they be like the famous friends from the show? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe if I, uh, if any of them turn famous. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have no idea what those celebrity, I mean, there's like, you know, there's been celebrity like reality shows. That's not a good situation. You definitely want your friends. Okay. So hope, well, actually, hopefully I'm not in your top 20 friends. Cause I don't want to be stuck on that Island. <laughs> <laughs> you can pick somebody else anyway. Um, okay. So Trish, where can people find you? They can find me best places on Twitter mm-hmm. at the curry show. Excellent. Okay. Yep. And then, uh, Carl, what about you? Uh, you can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay. 
You can find me at whytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash whytechie. And as always, please send us your feedback at feedback at msdevshow.com. You can also leave us feedback over Facebook if that's your thing. Um, And please make sure that you like us on Facebook. That really helps. And also leave a review um, on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your podcast uh, aggregator of choice is. And then uh, let's see here. Anything else we want to mention? Oh, and then visit, obviously, just visit msdevshow.com to listen to the past episodes and to, uh, you can see comments there or you can even just leave your comment there. And uh, Trish, thank you so much for being on here. It was great talking to you. No problem. I had fun.